10 verses at a time. The problem is uh, that Jesus kind of said this all in one hit. So there's a whole lot of stuff as we jump in today that you've got to be careful of because the Beatitudes were Jesus looking out at people just like you. And he was like, blessed are you today who mourn, for you'll be comforted. And blessed are you today who are poor in spirit. Uh, and blessed are those who are, you know, of you guys who feel like you're pretty meek and, and uh, you're ticking along best you can and you're not some big hot shot in your work or whatever. Blessings on you. Jesus kind of looked out at this crowd and it's like, whoa. And it's like he turned this whole kingdom upside down where it was like it wasn't the greatest or the most powerful or the celebrities or the wealthy or anything like that that were the top of the pile in the kingdom of God. Then he says, I want you ordinary people to be like salt and light in this world, to have a distinctive flavor, to be like a city on the hill that shows the rest of society what you can look like. We as a church, and the church is called to be this alternative society under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, where we walk to the beat of a different drum in terms of what our priorities are, where our time goes, who we, how we treat, you know, say like the, the humble in heart, if you want to get... Uh, more humble, then you've got to start looking out for humility around you. So we're the sort of people that treat waiters and waitresses like they're kings and queens. We treat people in the service like that's what Christians do. Jesus is banging on about this all the way through. And so as uh, we've gone through all these different things where Jesus has said, you've heard it said, but I say. So these antithetical statements that Jesus made, they said, there's the stuff that's said in the Old Testament, but I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so Moses and Elijah on the Mount Transfiguration, uh, they disappear. And it's just Jesus standing there and a voice from heaven says, listen to my son, listen to his words. And so Jesus trumps the Old Testament, but as he doesn't trump, it's a terrible way of saying it. And it's also a word that's controversial these days. Uh, <laughs> he, he actually, he's like, this is, this is what God's intent always was. This is how God always wanted. Now, some people have asked the question, which is a good question, after the Garden of Eden and when people failed and sinned and fell over or whatever, why didn't Jesus just turn up then? Have you ever thought that? Like, man, there's all this Old Testament stuff. and We're going to look at some of that in the big picture stuff tonight on the meta-narrative of Scripture. But it's like, why did, the reason was people weren't ready to hear God's Word. So he gives them laws and he gives them prophets to shape this culture from one of absolute barbarism and just tragic sort of ways of treating one another and war and, and gives them these laws that set them up to the point where they are at a place where they can hear the word of Jesus, they can hear the word of God and say, this is really what I've been about all along. Here's how I want you to live. Here's what it looks like to flourish as a human being. So don't just not murder someone, but be careful not to murder them in your heart. Like have such a love for the person around you, even the person that just cut you off on the car or whatever, to have such a sense of that they're God's creation that I, I can treat them with, with dignity and I can just cease to, over time as God sanctifies me, stop murdering them in my heart. Plank eye, hypocrites in transition, you know, all of that stuff that we say here all the time. I drove back from Taranaki yesterday and, you know, it was probably 50-50 in terms of getting a win on some of that stuff, so that's all good. Let's have a look at the text that we're looking at today. That's a win for me. That's, it's real good. Super chilled. That's such a high standard about how we should all be driving on those roads. Oh, no, okay. All right. So if it's 100, drive 100 at least. 
like they might be just dawdling around, but I've got five and a half hour drive ahead of me. 80 k's is just anyway. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. No, no, no. Naughty. That was a joke. All right, okay. iPhone. I did that on our pre-launch things are going to trouble. All right, don't do that, Harvey. All right, here we go. Eye for an eye. Let's have a look at the Bible. Quick, quick, quick. All right, get it up there, Cass. Eye for an eye. Here we go. And I'm so happy to be preaching this this week, can I just say, after last week. Oh, if anything needed the old, it was last week. So anyway, oh, we got there. Eye for an eye. Here we go. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go the two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors are doing that. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? So not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Interesting times that Jesus was in when uh, he said these words. In terms of some like contextual stuff going on. Similar to a group that we know, a group that is its eyes set on world domination, uh, a group that's used uh, their own religion as motivation to expand their kingdom through violence, to recruit through propaganda, and to intimidate through gruesome public executions, primarily beheadings but also crucifixions, a group that specifically targets Christians in the area. Uh, the name of that group that we're talking about is Rome. This is, this is Rome. This is who... Uh, has taken over Jesus' land, the Jewish land. It's the equivalent to ISIS taking over New Zealand uh, and setting up their rule. And it's a heavy, heavy situation. This is the state of affairs when the New Testament is written. Rome is set about to conquer the world. They were violent. People had to pronounce Caesar as Lord and Saviour. It was equivalent to a religion, and they accepted no compromise. And so the Latin phrase for this is called the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. Uh, The choice is you, convert or die. It's yours, your choice. Anyone that's watched Netflix, the Narcos series, it's the platter or the, what was the saying? The bullet or the money. Um, And it's like, so either you die or you accept the bribery and his whole corrupt kind of regime kind of got going. And so this is the world that Jesus is born into, real enemies. Um, not, you know, when he's talking about loving your neighbor, it's not like, well, we've got a neighbor that's got a dog that barks quite often. <laughs> it's really tough. And uh, another level, kind of what Jesus is on about here. And, uh, and the real enemies who might just hang you up on a cross to make a point. And so the sermon that we've been looking at kind of reaches this climactic point There's a number of of kind of high points in the sermon, but we've been looking at through these different things. This is like this climactic point in the sermon because he he echoes back to the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, and he echoes back to the anger thing. It's like he summarizes really the heart of God in these statements, and they are monstrous statements. Um, I, as I said, was driving back from Taranaki yesterday. I think I've got a picture of Mount Taranaki. And um, yeah, come on. 
But the thing is, this so doesn't do it justice. <laughs> it's so frustrating because I was driving, I went for a surf at Stink Road, then I'm like driving back to where we were staying. It was a bit late. And, um, and like, as I'm, so I took the inroad and I'm trying to like get there quick. And like, as I'm getting, like, the mountains is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I'm like, it's just literally awe inspiring. And it was a day in Taranaki that it wasn't raining. Like, you know, the joke, you know, if you can see the mountains, it's about to rain. If you can't, it's, it's raining. So um, it was like, and it was just stunning and it was awe-inspiring. And I feel like that when we stand here before these words of Jesus, it's like, how do you do justice to that? No one had said anything like this before in history. This is like, this is totally transforming the way people can view about what humanity is even capable of. And it's like so... It's incredible. So, you know, I feel kind of nervous even as we try and unpack this, but let's try. Uh, so he talks about this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing, which can be found in a bunch of different texts. Um, I think I've got a quote there. Cass, what's the next slide? I forget what I've got. Oh, yeah, cool, do. Look at that. Um, super organised. It's good. So Old Testament statement in this case is an expression eye for an eye. This is um, this guy, Jonathan Pennington, an amazing commentary called uh, The Sermon, uh, Sermon on the Mountain, Human Flourishing. So there's this kind of like violent language around kind of what's here. But the point of this whole thing is that uh, the idea initially of this law was to stop retaliation causing violence to escalate. So someone comes and punches Chris in the eye, and I'm an onikawa, and he's an uhutu tiawa. So I come over there and like I just like I just lay into Chris. So Chris gets all his fancy tiawa people to come down to onikawa, and they just wipe out onikawa. Now, good luck because I've got half of the mongrel mob down my street, but it's all right. <laughs> but it's like you know, but that's the equivalent kind of retaliation. Like you do this to my family. And it's like, you've, just, you've dissed my honour, you've humiliated me, so I'm not just going to go and just like do like, I'm going to go and just wipe you out. So, so then God comes into this culture and is like, hey, no, nah, just don't, like, there needs to be justice, but don't escalate it, and don't act in the moment in terms of that retaliation. Let's have a measured response here. Now, to us, it sounds pretty, still pretty horrific, eh? I mean, this is, again, why people, we had to wait for Jesus to turn up, because it's horrific for us to think eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This was groundbreaking philosophy at the time, like, whoa, okay, whoa, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, I suppose we give it a try to try and stop violence and retribution escalating. So he's forming them patiently, this, this uh, Israelite nation, into a just, loving society. And then Jesus comes and brings the full revelation of God's heart, um, Thankfully, we're in a context where the limits of this probably won't be tested in our lifetime in terms of applying this in the brutality of a war-like scenario or an ISIS occupation-like scenario. God willing, most of us don't have to face this. Still has huge implications for our worldview as followers of Jesus. From everything about how we relate to the annoying uncle, to that person at work, to all the rest of it, Jesus is calling us to something here that's so challenging, but turns the world upside down when applied. So he uses three examples, ideas just to get the imaginative juices flowing of the listeners about how to subvert the power of evil, to break its power, to undermine it. And so he uses the examples of uh, slapping, you know, someone on, slaps you on the cheek, someone wants to sue you, takes your shirt, someone uh, forces you to go one mile, you go two miles. So someone, for example, slaps you on the cheek. Now, uh, 
we've got to be super careful here that we don't have the doormat understanding of, of what Jesus is saying here, of non-retaliation. Um, because Jesus isn't just saying you get slapped and then you do nothing. Uh, you know, you're not letting people walk over you. Now say, uh, for example, that we're back in that day and Zacchaeus, who's the tax collector, we're going to meet him at some point in the biblical story, but before he meets Jesus, he's just a sellout to the Roman occupation. He's like decided to get in bed with ISIS equivalent and tax us, and he takes a big cut. And, uh, and you can't do anything about it because ISIS are there while he collects his taxes and gets his kickback, but he was one of us and he sold out. Now he's stoked because he's creaming it in terms of money, but everyone hates Zacchaeus because like, there are people that are going hungry because he's forcing them to pay taxes. So you go to Zacchaeus to pay your tax and you have run out of money. So you pay what you can to Zacchaeus and he just gets in a rage and just slaps you across the face. And like, what do you do in that moment? Like it's so unjust. But you've got the ISIS guys standing there who will break your kneecaps if you just like jump over that table. And so then Jesus is saying, in that scenario, like, how do you respond as a follower of Jesus? And he's like saying, no, don't just like, uh, you know, whimper away. There's something very undermining about just going, and uh, what is, like, what is Jesus calling us to? Because it isn't passive. It's not, it's not, um, it's a really intentional act of response. It's not revenge, it's not retaliation, but it's not passive and doing nothing. And you know what it is? It's love. But the word he uses is agape. Now, the frustrating thing with English writers, we've got love, we've got one word for love. So I love pizza. Like, I love pizza. I had pizza on the way home from Taranaki yesterday in the car. Jesus, not here, thank you, Lord. Uh, you know, I was like, had a whole pizza. Like, just, like, this is just awesome. Turned up the music. I love pizza. You know, it's just brilliant. Um, Nan's here. Oh, no, she's going to tell me. Anyway, so Father's Day, get away with it today probably, so it's good. Yeah. So pizza, I love pizza. I could eat a pizza right now if I'm really honest with you. It's like, I'm, is anyone else thinking of pizza? I mean, it's just awesome, right? I love, you know, I just love pizza. But it's like, I love pizza, but then I love my wife and my children. Like, I reckon I'd, I, I reckon I'd die for them. I reckon, like, I love them that much. Like, when I think about them, I'm like, I love them so much. But we use the same word. It's ridiculous. It's like, so the Bible doesn't. It's got these different words that it uses for love. And the word that Jesus uses here is agape. Now, agape, because, again, in the English language, most of the time we've got this idea of love around feelings in Hollywood, and you know, which is good. You know, I have those for my wife and my family and my kids and my friends and stuff. But... The word that Jesus is using here for loving your enemies uh, is, is not this word that has emotion or feeling around it. It's just this intentionality uh, to, to do what's best for that person, to love them, to treat them with dignity. And it's really a choice that's, that says it's a cognitive thing. I, so say Zacchaeus slaps you. It's like you look at Zacchaeus not with just like rage in you, but you're like, what's gone on in his day? that has just like got him to that point where he's so wild. Like he must be so lonely because of what he's chosen to do. And yeah, he's got money, but he's probably found out like most people do, it doesn't satisfy. And so like, what, like that's the sort of thing Jesus is talking about. So it's like Zacchaeus, bro, you're, like, you're a tough day, bro. You want to like just get it out, bro. Just, you know. And it's like it starts undermining like the power of that hatred and the evil that's just been done to you, it starts to break its power. Same with the Roman soldier, which they could do in this time, come up to you, 
tired because they've been marching all day, you're having a picnic on you know, Sunday afternoon or whatever, they, might, they come on up to you, they're shattered, plonk this big bag of stuff down, you've got to carry that for a mile, which was the rules. If a Roman asks you to do that, you've got to do it. And you're like, man, like, it's a good time with family and stuff, but like, man, this is a Roman soldier, and okay. And so it's like, you're looking at that Roman soldier, just saying, like, what does it mean to love this guy? And it's to look at them and just go, man, you must be shattered. Like, what a huge day. Like, you've been marching for ages. Would you give me the privilege of not just carrying it for that mile, but can I carry it to your door? Like, what do you do with that? It's like, like it just takes all the power out of that violent spirit uh, behind there. It has this capability to transform human relationships. And so in the history of human ethics and teaching, this statement is monstrous. It's a mountain. Nothing has been said like this before. Scott McKnight in his commentary says, this text is a messianic ethic for the messianic community and an ethic from beyond. Instead of the requirement of retribution, Jesus reveals that grace, love, and forgiveness can reverse the dangers of retribution and even more create an alternative society. As Tom Wright says it, don't use violence to resist evil. And so Jesus then begins to talk about the nature of God. Uh, he uses this weather metaphor to talk about the nature of God. And he's like, in the same way that the evil farmer gets the same rain as the godly father, so it is with the love of God. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's not like if you drive along, it's in Taranaki, it's like, oh, that farmer loves Jesus. Look at all that, you know, oh, that farmer loves Jesus. Oh, that girl, that's a dodgy farmer there. Look at how dry his farmers. So like, no, in Taranaki, you drive around, and it's like, mate, it's just beautiful everywhere. It doesn't matter if that um, farmer's beating his wife and that one's an upstanding member of uh, the local church. He's, he just pours out the rain and the sun on the good and the evil. So Jesus is talking about the nature of God, and thank goodness for that. He's like that. He just is like, he loves everyone with an unconditional love. And so Jesus is saying, if that's what the nature of God is, then we are called to follow his narrow road of loving even those that drive us up the wall and potentially have really, really hurt us. And so uh, he then says, uh, do not even tax collectors and Gentiles and pagans, people that aren't even Jewish, don't even, I mean, they like, I mean, Zacchaeus loves his family. But it's like, but Jesus isn't calling us to just to be people who love those who we get on with, who we love. Jesus is like, I want you to be Jesus people who will love everyone, even those who really, really hurt you. So this, this has got a huge, um, huge implications for how we live. And even in New, safe old New Zealand, it has huge implications for how we live. Um, Bonhoeffer, who was this German theologian who lived this out. He was uh, a German theologian. He was uh, around the time of the Nazi regime and, and World War II, and he took this text seriously to the point where he was martyred for what he believed. He was killed for what he believed. But he said this, evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing ob object, no resistance, but instead is willingly born and suffered. Evil meets an opponent for which it is not a match. So Jesus uh, is like, man, there's a way of turning the world upside down, and it's, by, it's through love. Now, Christians have wrestled with this. I think this is probably the least obeyed bit of Jesus' teaching, because on one level, it's super easy in New Zealand, and we life's ticking along, but in the world today, 
There's wars going on where people are trying to destroy enemy, and it, there's a religious component to the whole thing. And it's like, no one, it's like, well, have we ever thought about trying out this on a national level, where it's like, what if we tried the words of Jesus, and instead of retaliating when people attack our country, we do everything we can to bless and serve them? G.K. Chesterton said it's not that Christianity has tried and failed, it's, he said it's just so rarely been tried. So it's like, what happens if you try this stuff? And there are heroes of the faith that were like, we're going to try this, we're going to work this out. And it had huge implications, as you can imagine, particularly for the early church who lived in a very different world than ours. Um, For the first 300 years of church history, oh, Lord help me, for the first 300 years of church history, though the church was under incredibly violent persecution and uh, people get a bit concerned in the West about the fact that our nations are becoming increasingly secularised, but that's because we're used to state and church being in bed together. The church has always flourished when it's been on the margins, and it has, I mean, I mean, seriously flourished. Radical evangelistic power when it's been under some quite serious persecution. And so for the first 300 years, though, there's no record anywhere of a follower of Jesus entering into the military. Now, I know that's controversial to say, but it's just church history fact. And it wasn't until AD 300 when Constantine became the Roman emperor, saw that Christianity had so radically spread. It was like, how do we deal with this? And so they just made it the state religion. So all of a sudden, bishops and stuff that had been under massive persecution were now under places of power. And then all of a sudden, things began to change in terms of Christian worldview, particularly around these verses, around, around going to war against enemies. Interesting, eh? It's really interesting. Um, the issue for the pre-Constantine church was killing those made in God's image. So Jesus spoke into that viewpoint and against it when he summoned his followers to be peacemakers. The apostles tell us how much Jesus' words were understood and they read Jesus' word in a much more literal way than we do today. 1 Peter 2.21 reveals a radical non-violent form of resistance. So it's still resistance, but it's a radical non-violent form. In 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called because Jesus Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. What's his example? He gets beaten. He gets his cheeks slapped. He turns the other cheek. His clothes get ripped from him. He doesn't resist. He has to carry his cross because the Roman soldiers made him do it. And ultimately he gets executed and he is the God that created the heavens and the earth. Angels are waiting there and he never returns with violence. He doesn't parade Pontius Pilate head on a stick like he he easily could. He doesn't destroy the Roman system by violent force. He absorbs, he takes it upon himself and he extends mercy and forgiveness. It's just, it breaks the power of sin and death. He rises again victorious. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So society's corrupt, but our posture is to resist corruption by forming an alternative kingdom community rather than becoming complicit in a fallen world. I'm gonna say that again. Our posture is to resist corruption by forming an alternative kingdom community and not being complicit in our fallen world. We're called to be a light on a hill, like radically different. 
So now this, I'm pushing you here in terms of some stuff around pacifism because people have debated this. As again, the creeds, you don't have to believe everything I'm saying here, but I'm, I lean towards this because I can't help but do it. But it, has it been tested? No. It's easy for me to preach on it in New Zealand, right? Easy as. But I, I, I lean this way in terms of a literal understanding of what Jesus is saying here. And, but people don't. So the, other, the people that don't, and St. Augustine would disagree with me, they'd have a just war theory that says, but listen to this, even with the just war theory, it's only after every single means has been utterly exhausted that you very reluctantly go to war. Every diplomatic avenue, every possible solution that can be, only then would you reluctantly engage in, in actual war with another group. Now, the reality is that there's no way that St. Augustine's just war theory has been followed by Christians those that believe in, that it's okay to go to war. Every, can you honestly say every single means has been exhausted to resolve this conflict? I, I, would, I lean this other way. I think Jesus' teaching is so unbelievably radical that it sounds like God. And that Jesus so lived it perfectly and calls us to do the same that, that I think it's possible. And it has been in human history. There have been pockets where this has taken place. Um, let's jump to the slide where Scott McKnight outlines his reasons for pacifism. A couple of slides ahead, Cass. Uh, yeah, okay, let's, no, let's say that one as well. Yeah, why not? Uh, pacifism isn't quietism or withdrawal or inactivity. It isn't simple submission. Pacifism's root is connected to the peacemaking beatitude rooted in love and expressed when the follower of Jesus actively seeks peace. Um, blah, blah, blah. We don't have time. Let's keep going. Whatever, next one. Uh, so this is uh, Scott McKnight's reason why he can't, He's, he's a pacifist. He's a card-carrying pacifist. Now, he's an American scholar. God bless him. Imagine that. All right. Good luck, Scott, with that. Um, he said, I can't kill a non-Christian for whom Christ has died and to whom I am called to preach the gospel for the state that would be rendering to Caesars what is God's and deconstruct the kingdom mission. I can't kill a fellow Christian for the state that would be rendering to Caesars what is God's. My first allegiance is to the king and to his kingdom people. I am called to cooperate with the stateless and to the degree that it is consistent with the kingdom. I cannot in good conscience cooperate with the state when it is inconsistent with the kingdom. That would be to render to Caesar what is God's. And I cannot ask in the first instance, if this is practical, I'm to ask in the first instance what it means to follow Jesus. Now, we, this may be tested for us as a church. We're going to be very wise, but there's sometimes we're going to say we disagree with what the state's doing there, and so as an alternative community, we're going to, uh, in a loving way, resist that. And, and, and I think there'll, there'll be a time we need to protest some injustice that's in our nation. That's, you know, like we need to kind of get active on some stuff here, but about the right stuff, about the kingdom stuff, rather than trying to make everybody have the same morals as us when they don't even necessarily believe in the creator God who gives those morals. Like, what are you doing? We can't even talk on the, you know, total different tangent. <laughs> Brian Zand, and I've got a few minutes to say this, Brian Zand's written a very interesting book called Farewell to Mars. Mars is the god of war, the Greek god of war. Brian Zahn's testimony is fascinating. Uh, he is an American pastor who uh, was just, oh man, there's so much to say about this guy. He's a fascinating guy. He's basically just completely done a 180 around his core theological worldview from being this kind of Republican, passionate Republican supporting, gun-toting, God bless any war that kills the infidels. He, has, he, he had this moment where the Holy Spirit convicted him of his greatest sin and he 
I heard him say this with tears in his eyes. The greatest sin he's ever committed in his life, he believes, is that he invited his mates around, they had popcorn, and they watched the first Gulf War on TV and just cheered and thought it was entertainment. And he says that, that has grieved the whole, he felt that that grieved the Holy Spirit more than anything that he's ever done in his life, and he's bitterly repented of that many, many times. And he completely changed his tune, and he's very bold voice in America. Flip, he's got courage, man, and we should pray for him. Now, I don't agree with everything Brian Zahn says, creeds, blah, 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 right, okay, so, but I like what he says here, and if you wrestle with this whole thing of pacifism, and I actually want to pause here for a second. Just because I may be passionate about pacifism doesn't mean I can't honour the people that fought World War I and II and, and be very, very passionate about what happened to Anzac Day. These are brave men and women who, with what they knew, went and, and you know, like, you can honour all of that, absolutely. Then there's movies like Hacksaw Ridge that come along, and it's very inspiring in terms of, like, perhaps your potential place within something like that. And again, most likely it's not going to be tested for us. Um, the two questions that often get asked, Brian Zahn said as he wrote this book on uh, the gospel of peace and being a people of peace, were what about Hitler and what about home invasion? So I'm going to put those articles on our um, secret Facebook group because I don't have time to unpack that. It's everyone's thing, well, what do you do with Hitler if you're a pacifist? And what if your home gets invaded if you're a pacifist? Yeah, so it's uh, something to look forward to on the old online thing. Jesus, listen to this, this is Brian's arm. Jesus testified against the systemic sin that has organized the world since Cain killed his brother and founded human civilization. From Cain onward, a, war a world defined by war organized itself around groupthink hostility and sanctioned violence, uh, sanctioned the violence that flows from it. Whether it was agriculturalists against nomads, Egyptians against Cushites, Babylonians against Hittites, Greeks against Persians, Trojans against Spartans, Jews, Jews against the Rome, the world has been arranged around shared hatred and collected murder. So Jesus comes along and says to us, love your enemy. And we instinctively feel how radical it is. He's not just giving individuals a personal ethic. He's striking at the very foundation of the world. The world was founded on hated, hating enemies. Jesus says, don't do it. Don't hate your enemies. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he wasn't just trying to produce kinder, gentler people. He was trying to refound the world. Instead of retaliatory violence, the, the world is to be refounded on co-suffering love. Jesus understood that the world had been built. It's societal, societal structures upon shared hatred, which Israel cherished in their war stories. Jesus was challenging the world at its most basic I've screwed that up. As most basic, must honor Cain's war against Abel, whatever, and our own wars upon our hatred enemies. Our whole system will fall apart, but Jesus testified against it, those, that those deeds were evil. It's just like there's no space for it. And the cross reveals how God deals with injustice and violence by absorbing it, bearing it away. The sin is removed. The mask of injustice is stripped away to reveal injustice. It was through the cross that Jesus was vindicated in resurrection and exaltation. And that same promise is given to his followers in Mark 8, 34 and 9 verse 1. And so, I come into land with this. Our job isn't to get the, uh, the government to act like Jesus. Our job is to get the church to act like Jesus. That's enough of a job that we've got in front of us. That's going to take our lifetime, Right? That's our challenge is we want to follow the way of Jesus. And there have been some disciples who, the disciples I think who have made the biggest impact upon the world are people that have followed this teaching and often had a similar end to their life like Jesus. In our nation, we have the story of Pari Haka, nonviolent resistance. 
And there are lots of wars in the history of New Zealand. There's one we keep talking about, Pariharka, because of that non-violent resistance of the Māori people to this horrible attack. And to this day, we talk about it. We should, and that's on Guy Fawkes Day. And there's people that are lobbying that that would be a national holiday for us because of what happened there. Uh, amazing kind of movement there. One of the big titans in recent history is Martin uh, Luther King, Jr. Uh, there's this photo here that is just very powerful. Um, 1963, someone had burned a cross on his front yard, and this had happened many times before. And Martin Luther King lived out this teaching of Jesus. Like He knew this. This was his whole worldview, the way he operated. And so what does he do when he sees this? He puts on his best Sunday suit. He walks out, and that's his son there to his left, and he pulls uh, picks up that cross, takes it out of the, the ground, and there are reporters there. And what you don't see is that what happened next is that he knelt down and out loud he just began to pray a blessing over the person that had done that. And he prayed that God would show favour to those people that had done that. He prayed for those that were persecuting him. And ultimately he... Uh, he paid this huge price for what he believed in, but to this day, we're like, that is something about it is so Christ-like, and we're called to follow that way. He, he said this, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, and so it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So we're going to crash land now because the kids are going to come in and we want to pray for our fathers. But um, can I just encourage you, there, there are probably people that have hurt you, people that... It may even be people this week who you're going to be hanging around where you're like, hey, you drive me up the wall, and I'll probably drive you up the wall a little bit as well. Can, this isn't something you can just try and do yourself. Jesus, by saying this, cracks something open in our heart that enables the potential of returning blessing and love to those who would hurt us and even persecute us. Like, so you need to pray the Holy Spirit would fill you in such a way that you could follow the narrow way of Jesus with the people that you struggle with this week. And uh, perhaps you would even pray that God would bless them. And, and by the Holy Spirit, think of ways that you could express agape love, like cognitive choice love. I choose to bless you some, some way. Maybe uh, that we do that. Lord, help us to live this way. And uh, Lord, thank you for your deeply challenging teaching on this. And it makes us uncomfortable because it seems, whoa, like how do you do that? How do you, what does this mean? But Lord, lead us in your way of life, your way of love, and help us to be an alternative kingdom in a very fallen world that is like a light shining on a hill filled with beauty and life and goodness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.